the company that makes the Arm & Hammer baking soda pretty much has a, a monopoly on the product. And when I say monopoly, I'm talking about having exclusive possession or control over certain goods and, and, and supplies. And so when you think about baking soda, you can't help but to associate it with the Arm & Hammer brand. That's because they cornered the market. So that means they have very little competition. In the same way, God wants to have, he wants to corner the market in terms of our time, our, our devotion, our service, our heart, our worship. In other words, God wants to have a monopoly over our lives. And even though there are many idols, if you will, out there that would compete with God for a share of the market, which is us, know that God does not and will not share us with the competition. Understand that God, even though he wants full monopoly in our lives, there are things that come up in life and in our culture that would that would draw the, the attention in the hearts of God's people and understand this, God would not allow that to happen if we cooperate with the Lord because God wants a monopoly over our lives. Amen? Amen. Tonight I want to start a, a series on worship. Pastor Kurt, several Sundays ago, he preached on a message on uh, true worship. And... Um, there were some things that he had said that really encouraged me and also things that I've not heard before. So that really stirred me up in my spirit. So it almost to the point where it compelled me to continue down this path of worship. Pastor John also made several mentions on the subject of worship. And it's, I'm not here to, to, you know, to come up with some greater revelation than Pastor John or Pastor Kurt. And I'm not here to try to tell you that I know more than them concerning worship. But I believe that even though we may have heard it before, I believe that we can still glean some things that God wants to say tonight concerning worship. I believe that tonight, by the end of time, by the time you, you leave this service tonight, that God is going to point some things out to you in your spirit about areas in your life that will help you to advance to the kingdom of God. Amen. Would you, are you ready to receive that? Amen. All right. Well, praise the Lord. We'll start with, let's go with our Revelations chapter 22. Revelations chapter 22, and here we read the story of the Apostle John, who was banished in the island of Patmos, where all the other hardened criminals were. And there he received revelation, visions, and in a supernatural way through Christ Jesus and also through angels about the end times and the future events concerning the church. And in verse 8, he appear, he's standing before angel, and it says, Now I, John saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these signs. Verse 9, Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. It's interesting how the angels told John not to do this anymore. Well, what was it that he did? He fell down and worshipped the angel. And what the angel was simply telling him is, do not worship angels or do not worship anything or anyone else but God. 
So here we have the last chapter of this book in the last book of the Bible with the last duty of man, and that is to worship God. That was the last thing that we were called to do, and that was to worship God. Now, of all of God's creation, his greatest creation, his greatest achievement was when he created man. Because man is the only creature that he took the time to create with his hands. And he also breathed life into us, breathed his very nature into us, breathed his very quality in us, and making, him, making us after his image and likeness. He not only did all that, but he also put in us a desire for worship. So man was created to worship God. That means that there's a desire in every man and every woman to worship him. In other words, worship is part of our DNA. But since the fall of man, worship, that desire for worship wasn't lost. It was just simply distorted and corrupted. Which means that even though every man's DNA is to worship... That means you have people all over this world worshiping something or someone other than God. And so tonight I want to really talk about worship, false worship, and true worship. We're going to look at what, what false worship is. And of course, more specifically, idolatry. What is idolatry? And what does the Bible say about the subject of idolatry? What does idolatry look like in today's world? And why is idolatry so spiritually dangerous? We're also going to look at the idol called self. Then we're going to talk about true worship. What is true worship? What does it mean to worship him in spirit and truth? How do we worship? Why do we worship? What are the benefits of worship? So these are the things that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. But tonight I want to focus on that false worship, idolatry. Go with me to Exodus chapter 20. The title of this message tonight is, Who Do You Worship? Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 3. It says, You shall have no other gods before me, And you shall not make for yourself a a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5. And you shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, if you were to read all of the Ten Commandments, you'll find that 20% of the commandments here concern idolatry. And, of course, the most important one in this of the Ten Commandments is the first one. Because the reason for that is because our obedience and our understanding all hinges on that one commandment. Because if we don't obey that first commandment, then we've broken all the other commandments. So, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. That phrase, before me, literally means in my presence. Now, we all know that God is an omnipresent God. Which means he's everywhere. So, that means that everything that you and I do, it's done openly before God, whether we want him to see it or not. 
There's no place that you can hide, and there's no place far enough that you can run from God because he's everywhere. I like what Psalm 139 and 7 says. He says, where can I go from your spirit? And where can I run from your presence? And, of course, the answer is nowhere. Everything we do in life is done before God, whether you want him to see it or whether you don't. Very important to know that. So he says, you shall have no other gods in my presence. In verse 4, he talks about a commandment against making and worshiping images. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. In other words, this implies that worship of God is spiritual and not material. John 4 and verse 24 says that God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Amen. So this is a spiritual thing. So God's commandments forbids Israel from worshiping idols of any form or even making idols of images that they think is God out of any type of materials. Because listen, God is spirit. And there's no material on this earth that can resemble God. There's no man-made images that you can say look like God or is God. There is only one God. And the problem is that the children of Israel never seen the God, the form of God. All they've heard was his voice. But what they've done was they began to form in their own image, in their own thinking, what God was looked like. And so they began to form him in their own image. And after the images of other things. And so this is not what God is. And you know what? God did not call us to form images in our mind about who we think God is. Amen? Amen. So God makes it very clear here in Exodus chapter 20 that he will not tolerate any competition from anything or anyone that will try to rob our affection and our allegiance to God. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is so protective? He reminds me of a protective husband who won't let anybody go near his wife. Amen. Amen. He doesn't want anybody robbing his wife's heart. I don't want nobody to try to take my wife's heart from me. Because I'll be like a bulldog. I'll be on him like, like, like a bulldog. I'm sorry, but I, this, that's my wife. You don't want to mess with my wife. God feels the same way about us. God can be bulldog when it comes to us in our relationship. But unfortunately, Israel continued to break that commandment time and time again because they began to worship the idols of other nations. Therefore, they've been guilty of idolatry. So what is idolatry? Well, to, sim- to, be sim- to put it simply is this. It's just a simple worship of idols. It is considered a false worship. You know, during the first century, idolatry was pretty much widespread. And it was very popular, very common in those days. But I want you to look at, uh, well, you don't have to turn there, but it's interesting because in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16, it says that when Paul came to the city of Athens, he, he went there to wait for Timothy and Silas to join him. And so it goes where when he was there and he got there and he was waiting for for his partners to join him. The Bible says that his spirit became grieved. And he was aroused to anger. And the reason for that was because the city of Athens was filled with idols. Everywhere he went, 
That's what he saw was idols. And because, you know, <laughs> you know there, was a, there was a writing by an ancient writer who wrote this as a satire concerning the city of Athens. This writer served the Roman emperor Nero who persecuted the church. And he made this statement. He says that concerning the city of Athens, he said that it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. Indicating that there are more gods in Athens than there were men. That's, and you can understand why Paul was grieved in his heart. Listen, idolatry, and if you can put that definition up on the screen. Idolatry is anything that dethrones God from his place in our hearts and puts someone or something else in his place. So idolatry is anything that consumes almost all of our thoughts, our our actions, and our resources. It is anything that draws our eyes and attention away from God. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says that you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, it's interesting that God would be described as being jealous. Now, there is a righteous jealousy and a holy jealousy, and then there's a jealousy that is unrighteous, that is weak, and that is insecure. Now, we know that God is not insecure. We know that God is not unrighteous, and we certainly know that God is not weak. But God is a righteous God. God is a holy God. Everything that God does is perfect. So when we talk about God being jealous, God is because it's a righteous jealousy. When God gets angry, it's not some wild, out-of-control, emotional fit of rage. It's a righteous anger. When God passes judgment, it's a righteous judgment. And so when the Bible says that God is a jealous God, it's a righteous jealousy. It's a holy jealousy. It's a jealousy that it comes out of love. Because again, as I told you before, God is very protective of his relationship with us. He wants complete allegiance from us. In the same way that I want my wife to always be faithful to me, I never have to worry about her faithfulness. So it's a blessing to know I never have to worry about that because I want her faithfulness in the same way that she wants mine. God is the same way. I know that my wife would kill me if I would try to have my allegiance to someone else. And I would never pass live the day because of that. Because I know how my wife feels about me. She's very protective of me. And I thank God for that. So he is a jealous God. He is a righteous, jealous God. Go to Mark chapter 7. What does idolatry, and what does the Bible say about idolatry? Mark chapter 7. When it comes to idolatry, the danger is not in the object or the item. The danger lies in us. Because you see, idolatry starts in the heart. The cravings, the wantings, the enjoyments of things that is more important than God. Look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. In verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. Or that's what makes a man unclean. For from from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, 
blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. But notice that the word idolatry is not mentioned here in these verses. But the word covetousness covetousness is there. Go with me quickly to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 says this. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires, and watch this, and covetousness which is idolatry. So the same Greek word for covetousness that is found here in Colossians is the same word that is found in Mark chapter 7 and verse 22, which we just talked about and read. So covetousness is idolatry. And the reason why covetousness is idolatry, because the thing that you covet becomes an idol. So when people give so much attention to to the thing that they covet, they covet it, and the thing that they covet, the, the very thing that they covet, goes into their hearts, and it becomes an idol in their hearts. In other words, they lift it up into their hearts by taking God's place, and it, the thing that you covet, becomes the idol or becomes the God. So you understand why, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself, why covetousness or idolatry is dangerous. So covetousness is a greedy desire for more. When a person looks at something so much that he covets it, he's a set up that object of desire in their hearts as though it was their God. So when we talk about covetousness, when we talk about idolatry, when we talk about idols, it is, and you can put that other definition up there, it is a person, place, or thing that is loved more than God, that is wanted more than God, that is desired more than God, that is treasured more than God, and that is enjoyed more than God. And this is what Jesus says defiles a person. Idolatry is false worship. Idolatry is distorted worship. It is corrupted worship. And the reason why it's a false worship is because it's misleading. The reason why it's considered a false worship is because it's a false misrepresentation of what true worship is. So idolatry begins in the heart. Go to Romans chapter 1. Idolatry is trading, for, trading God for vain and useless substitutes. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to take my glasses off. I may not be able to see you, but as long as I see my notes. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, it says this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became darkened and confused. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Verse 25. 
And so they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things that God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Now let me, let me uh, direct you to verse 23, which is the most important verse here in this passage of Scripture. In verse 23, I'm going to read this from the Amplified Version. It says this, And by them the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God were exchanged or traded for and represented by images resembling mortal man and birds and beasts and reptiles. Paul is saying that these people traded the glory of God for the glory of images. Images of animals, images of birds, images of reptiles. When man rejects God, he doesn't stop being religious. He doesn't stop worshiping. What he simply does is he creates his own God. Because the desire of worship is still in him, but the desire of worship in him is distorted. So man, by nature, are religious creatures. So they're going to worship anything or anyone because worship is in their DNA. It's just distorted. So this is what characterizes our culture. Not only in this world, but also, and sadly to say, in the church. Because Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. So the very people that Paul says exchanged or traded the glory of God for the glory of animals or the images of birds and animals and reptiles, the very same people that Paul says had traded God, the truth of God, for a lie, are the very same people who he said knew God. When the church loses its uniqueness, which we have in Christ, the church loses its support from the Father. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 24. He says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. In other words, God had given them over to the things that they traded God for. See, we we illegitimize ourselves as true believers when we exchange our hearts to other things other than God. They that knew God did not acknowledge Him as God, did not value Him as God, did not honor Him as God. So therefore, because of that, God gave them over to the object of their worship. And it's not that God didn't try to... In the the Old Testament, God would constantly send prophets to the children of Israel, warning them about falling away and, and worshiping idols and falling into idolatry. Years and years will go by that God will constantly send prophets upon prophets preaching and telling them, please come on back. Don't continue down this path. Come on back. I'll accept you. I'll forgive you. But just repent. Turn away from those things. But they yet continued to worship other gods. They continued in the spirit of idolatry. And because of that, God, I mean, what choice does God have? He's not going to go over your will. So if you're going to continue down that path, then all he can do is to just let you go. I like what Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17 says. A very powerful statement. Because the prophet Hosea was sent to do the same thing. And he said this. God says this. Ephraim, which is Israel, is joined to idols. Let him alone. 
Because of Israel's strong attachment to idolatry, because the Bible says that they joined themselves to idols. And because of that, God gave him over to the very thing that they worshipped. He says, let them alone. Leave them alone. Let them continue down that path. So Israel, because they refused to repent, separated themselves from God's presence, from God's blessings, from God's provisions, and from God's protection. All because they exchanged the glory of God. They traded the glory of God for the glory of other things. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Idolatry is the work of the flesh. In Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19, it says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are idolatry, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, and heresies. Now in verse 19, the word flesh is used to signify the corrupt human nature of man. Now look up in verse 16, just a few verses up in Galatians 5. Paul says this, Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The implication here is this, that if a believer does not walk in the Spirit, then he will fulfill the lust of the flesh. When we don't yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit... The works of the flesh will begin to manifest itself and become obvious. When we don't give in or, or yield to the Spirit of God, then what we would become is what Paul calls carnal Christians. A carnal Christian is someone who's controlled by the flesh. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> this was Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, and he had a lot, <coughs> he had a lot of issues <clears throat> with the church concerning these things. First Corinthians chapter three and in verse three. He says, For you are still carnal or controlled by your sinful nature, for where there are envy, strife, and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Now that last phrase is a very important phrase. The amplified version says it like this. It says, Yet you are carnal. And act like mere unchanged men. So a Christian who not, does not walk in the spirit and has no control of his flesh, but being controlled by his flesh, becomes a carnal Christian. Because, he be, in other words, he begins to act like an unchanged person or an unsaved person. He begins to talk like an unsaved person. He begins to think like an unsaved person. How many of you have ever met a Christian who, who goes around saying he's a Christian, but yet his behavior and his actions don't line up with his proclamation? Now, we may not be able to judge a person's heart, but we can certainly judge the fruits. And if the fruits doesn't match what they speak, then you need to wonder whether they're saved or not. But Paul says in Galatians 5, 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. 
That means that the practice of idolatry or any other works of the flesh is evidence that we are still controlled by our flesh. Idolatry begins from the heart but is manifested in the flesh. Therefore, it becomes obvious as to who or what is uh, controlling our lives. Go to Jeremiah chapter 10. Who or what is controlling your life? Idolatry are lies. They're fraudulent. They are misleading. They are deceptive. And it's a gross misrepresentation of what true worship is. As a matter of fact, idolatry is a lie out of the pit of hell. Would you agree? In Jeremiah chapter 10, listen to what Jeremiah says in verse 14 and 15, a New Living Translation. It says, the whole human race is foolish and has no knowledge. The craftsmen are disgraced by the idols they make. For their carefully shaped works are a fraud. These idols have no breath or no power. Idols, in verse 15, are worthless. They are ridiculous lies. On the day of reckoning, they will all be destroyed. During the days of Jeremiah, God's people had established idolatry as the true worship. It is an insult to God when you change his truth to a lie. In Psalm 138 and verse 2, it says that God magnifies his word above his name. But when a man doesn't like what God says, he changes it into a lie. And so what they simply have done is what Paul says in Romans 1 verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. As I mentioned to you before, an idol is a person, place, or thing that loves God, that, uh, that is loved more than God, that is wanted more than God, and that is desired more than God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What does an idol look like in today's world? Now, in the city of Corinth, idol worship was pretty common. As a matter of fact, it was very popular. It was a major expression of religion during that time. They thought it was a good thing. And so you can understand the challenges that Paul had faced having established a church there. Because one of the dangers for the church was having to fall into these idol worships. Because it was so common in the community. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, Paul says this. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry or run from idolatry. Paul strongly urged them to escape from the service of idols. He says to run from the feasts that are celebrated in honor of these idols because these things were going on on a constant basis. You couldn't avoid it. You know, the celebrations and worship was going on constantly in these temples and they were everywhere. And, And no matter where you go, they were there and there was something always going on in these temples. And Paul was simply saying, avoid these things, run away from these things. So this warning that Paul had warned against idolatry to the children of uh, 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 the Christians in Corinth, that same warning still holds true today. There's always a threat for people of God to fall into idolatry. And I believe that today, and I'm sure that you'll agree with me when I say that today, there are more distractions in this world than ever before. And especially with the things that are going on in social media. 
I believe that social media has consumed the heart of, 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 of everyone who, who follows social media. I believe that, and again, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with social media, but sometimes we can become consumed. Our thoughts, our actions, even our resources can be consumed by what goes on in social media. So idolatry is a major problem in this modern day. So when someone talks to you about idolatry or worship of idols, we tend to picture someone kneeling on their knees or falling on flat on their face, worshiping these stone or wooden carved images. And what happens is that we tend to think in our, in our minds, and this is where deception comes in. We begin to think in our minds, well, you know what? I don't do that. I don't worship idols. I don't bow down to carved images. I don't guard, worship statues that are made of metal or whatever. But see, here's the problem, and here's the deception. In this day and age, no one's going to follow. Nobody worships idols, or nobody falls down and, and worship images. But idolatry in this modern day takes on a different form. I believe that idolatry is more pervasive, more subtle, and more dangerous. We may not worship things that are carved of stone or things that are carved out of, out of, out of metal or wood. But how many of us worship paper money or plastic cards, credit cards? Those are forms of idolatry. Other forms of idolatry could be people or any person. It could be a home. It could be your job or career. It could be relationships. It could be family or family members. Idolatry can also take the form of a pet. Believe it or not, some people treat their pets better than they treat their spouse. Sometimes they come in the form of Facebook. You know, watch out now. Or what you do in Facebook. Sometimes they come in the form of computers. Or what you do in a computer. Sometimes they take on a form of addictions. Whether it's alcohol, drugs... Whether it's sex, money, gambling, food, whatever. They take on different forms. But regardless of what these forms are, regardless, I believe that people are worshiping or have something that they're worshiping in their hearts. And again, this is one of my prayers for tonight. Is that when we leave here, that God will begin to point those out in your hearts to help you to get out of that situation so that he can advance you to the kingdom of God. Because once again, God is very protective of his people. And he wants our allegiance. He wants our affections. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are these things in our lives? But only you can answer that for yourselves. But here's what you can do. If you can sit down and make a list of all the important things in your life, 
Could it be that maybe you can find a clue as to where your heart truly is? So while the Bible warns us about idolatry, many of us aren't even aware that we're worshiping them. We know that idolatry is evil, and it always will be evil. But the things that we pursue may not necessarily be evil. It may not be an evil thing. Some of the things that unknowingly worship can be something normal and something good and healthy. But when it becomes more than what you feel about God, when it becomes more, when, when you desire it more than God, when you want it more than God, when you honor it more than God, then it becomes a problem. An idol in today's world, if you can put that screen up in the screen, an idol in today's world, and we're waiting. Survey says. So an idol in today's world is an illegitimate, unauthorized person, place, or thing. Now watch this. To whom God's people look to for solutions, hope, and help. Go to Psalm chapter 81. If you're looking for solutions, if you're looking for some help, if you're looking for peace, If you're looking for wisdom, if you're looking anywhere other than God, you're not going to find it. Look at what Psalm 81 and verse 9 says in the New Living Translation. It says this, you must never have a foreign God and you must not bow down before a false God. Verse 10, this is what I want you to see. For it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide. And I will fill it with good things. Notice what God is saying here. He's saying this. It is I, the Lord your God, not some false God, that delivered you from bondage. It was I, not the Lord your God, that delivered you from misery. It was I, the Lord your God, not some false God, That brought you out of hopelessness. It was I, the Lord your God, not some false God, who took your impossible situation and turned it into a possible solution. It was God, your God, not some false God, that did all of these things for you. But here's the problem. There are way too many believers who foolishly think that an idol, the thing that they consider the most important thing in their lives, the thing that they trust the most, they they can provide them for the things that only God can give. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Now, some of you may remember your high school days. Some of you have probably barely a, a thought. But for those of you who can remember your high school days, you probably remember your teachers as well. Your good teachers and your bad teachers. And perhaps maybe you had a favorite teacher. And the reason why your teacher was a favorite teacher because maybe because the teacher cared about the students. The teacher may have been your favorite teacher because they really cared and took the time to help the students. 
It could be that maybe the favorite teacher made the class fun, made the class exciting, made the class interesting, made it intriguing and engaging, and you've even learned something. But then one day you come into class and you see a stranger sitting at the desk that your favorite teacher normally sits. Well, that stranger is a substitute. Now, you may get the same information that your favorite teacher normally gives you. But it may not be as fun. And it may not be as exciting. It may not be as intriguing. It may not be as fun or as interesting. And matter of fact, you may not even learn anything. It might be even boring. And the teacher may not even care about the students. He might just just be there just to collect the check and just go through the motions. My point here is this. The quality that your favorite teacher gives you and provides you, you're not going to get from a substitute teacher. Now, hold on to that thought. 1 John 5 and verse 21 says this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. From anything and everything that would occupy the place in your heart due to God. From any sort of substitute for him that would take first place in your life. Amen. In other words, don't settle for any substitutes in your life because the quality will never be the same. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 9, if you remember the story where Satan was tempting Jesus, and he took Jesus to the highest mountain, and then he told Jesus, all of this city of the world I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. And in Jesus, of course, his response in verse 10, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you worship. There is nothing that the devil can offer you that is better than what God can offer you. Because you see, the devil cannot mimic the quality that only God can provide you. So don't settle for a substitute that cannot give you the same quality that only God can give to you. Are you hearing me this morning, this evening? Because there are no substitutes when it comes to God. God will give you all that you need and you don't need to chase any gods. You don't have to rely on any other thing because God is the one that provides you with all that you need. He'll provide you with the quality that you deserve. Amen. Amen. And, you know, I, I thank the Lord every day because there's a principle to that. Because when, when, when you're praying and you're waiting on God for something, and, and it seems like God is taking too long to answer your prayers. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so what happens, and see, this is where the deception comes in. Because what happens is that we get tired of waiting. We become impatient. And so what we do is we try to find our own way. We try to find other means. We try to help God out. Only to settle for something far less when God can provide you with so much better. And that's why I thank God. 
that I waited and waited as I prayed and I prayed. And because I waited, and because I didn't find my way, because I didn't make other choices on my own, I waited and God had blessed me with the quality that till this day I'm enjoying for 33 years, and that's my wife. God can provide you with the quality where the devil can only provide you with false, fraudulent blessings that don't last long. And so if, if you can get something out of this, one thing I want you to really think about is this. There's going to be, every day of your life, idolatry is going to tempt you. Every day and all day. But rather than giving in to idolatry, no matter how good it looks, no matter how pleasurable it may be, no matter how much it looks to you, think about what God can provide you. Be patient. When you feel pressure to do something, when you feel pressure to make a decision, that's the time you don't make a decision. Because God is not going to pressure you to doing anything. When you know it's God, there's a peace that comes inside of you knowing this is God. God is never going to pressure you to do anything. But the devil will do that. So you can make a choice and end up regretting the choice that you made because you couldn't wait for God. The devil cannot offer you the quality that only God can offer you. We can pick up next week because we're running out of time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray, Father God, that your word has touched the lives of those that are here tonight. I pray, Father God, that you've spoken to them, that you made things clear to them, Father God, that there'll be no misunderstanding as to where you stand. And Lord, I thank you, Father God, for ministering to everyone that is here today with your word. Father, I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Father God, for all that you are, because there's none like you. You are God, and you're a true and faithful and awesome God. And so, Father, we thank you this day for all that is said and done. And we thank you, Father, that the people will leave here, Lord God, filled with your love and filled with your spirit and filled with your word. And we thank you for it in your precious son's name.